Well, Merry Christmas Eve, Eve, okay? Which just means, uh, if I can do a dad Christian joke, Merry Christmas, Adam. Okay, some of you will get that on the home, okay. I uh, know, that's terrible. Welcome, my name's Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here. And in that video, I mean, that was, we're not maybe used to seeing a video like that in church. That is a real and raw video. And I know Morgan and Greg personally, and here's the truth. Some of you are here, you're not Christians, welcome. I want to tell you just something about Christians. We really want to look like Jesus, and we really should look like Jesus. And across time, as we grow as Christians, hopefully we're going to look more and more like Jesus. But on our way to looking like Jesus, more often we look a lot like people who need Jesus. And what you heard in that video is two people who need Jesus. And, uh, and that's the same of every Christian. And what happened there is the grace of God came into their lives. And I want to give you some good news tonight, because the last two years you've gotten a lot of bad news, right? And my soul and your soul was not created to handle as much bad news as we've gotten. So here's the good news, that Jesus forgives our sin and Jesus changes our lives. And that's just one of many stories of how it happens. Uh, in fact, let me encourage you, because you see a video like that, I know it's Christmas time. We're thinking about our families. We're thinking about our marriages. We're thinking about maybe our parents' marriages. And let me just give you a hopeful word from Scripture and from the gospel. You can have a new marriage with the same spouse. Isn't that great? You can have a different and better marriage with the exact same spouse. That's the power. Jesus changes and transforms our lives. Relationships are messy. Life is hard, but God is good, and the grace of God is real. What we're going to be doing as a church, because we want to help people, we want to help marriages, we believe that you cannot have a healthy city if you don't have healthy churches. You can't have a healthy church if you don't have healthy marriages. So in the new year, we're going to be doing an eight-week series on the Song of Solomon. That's right. A book that Jewish boys weren't allowed to read until they turned 13. <laughs> we're going to talk about sex, singleness, marriage, dating, relationships, masculinity, femininity, because we want to help the marriages and we want to strengthen the families in our church. Let me pray for families and marriages for a moment, and then we're going to have a special Christmas Eve message together. Let's pray. Well, we thank you for Morgan and Greg, just them being, it's not easy to be that authentic and that vulnerable and that transparent and that honest on a video and just open up their lives and open up the, the sins and the struggles and even a marriage that, that led to separation for a season. We thank you that the gospel first reconciles us, Lord, to you, and then gives us the ability to be reconciled to one another, gives us the resources that we need so that we can forgive other people, so that we can receive grace, so that we can extend grace, so that, as what Greg said in that video, so that we're able to come into the light. Lord, I, I pray that you would strengthen the marriages in our city and in our church, Lord, that the gospel would become real to us, and we would we would let it affect the way that we love our spouses. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, welcome. Like I said, it's Christmas Eve, Eve service. And here's what I know that, that means. That means that there's lots of different types of people in the room watching online across all five of our services this weekend. And, uh, and, and some of you, let's just be honest, you maybe you didn't want to be here tonight. Someone, you don't have to raise your hand. Please don't, please don't raise your hand, okay? <laughs> That's going to be awkward for me. Don't raise your hand. Um, but, but a friend invited you or a coworker or a classmate or a family member, and, and you said yes, but you don't really want to be here, and maybe you only come on Christmas Eve. Well, I've got something to tell you. That's what I used to do. So you might one day get to be a pastor. <laughs> True story. I grew up, and my parents dragged me to church on Christmas Eve and on Easter. I was a CEO, Christmas, Easter only, Okay. And so uh, we're, we're glad you're here for whatever reason that you are here. 
We also know that there's lots of different types of people in the room. There, there are what we call the church people. They're the people who are always here. They love the church. It gives you, Christmas gives you all the feels, right? You love singing the songs, and you think that Christians, the NFL gets one Super Bowl. Christians get two Super Bowls, Easter and Christmas Eve. Others of you, we would call, and we don't mean this in, in, in an offensive way, we, we would call you the unchurched. You would never darken the door of a church unless somebody invited you for a special Sunday like this or a special weekend like this. Or you might, you might come if somebody you know is hatched, matched, or dispatched. Okay? <laughs> hatched, someone's born. Matched, someone's married. Dispatched, someone died. That's the only reason you would ever come to church. <laughs> Welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, there's others of you, and you're, you've been de-churched, right? This happens to people for various reasons. Sometimes people get really, really busy. Sometimes people have a bad experience in church. It happens. Sometimes they have a bad experience with, with Christians because we're, we're sinners just like everybody else, and we try to practice humble hypocrisy, but we, you know, we're like porcupines. We poke each other. You know, we don't mean to. Um, but, but a lot of times people had a bad experience with religion. And so part of what we want to do tonight is we want to get and just, we want to just tell you what Christianity is really about. We want to point you not to Christians, but ultimately to, to Christ. And, and, and so as, even though there's different people in here, like I said, the church and the unchurched and the, the de-church, for us, as we come to Christmas, Christmas means different things. So for some of you, for, for many of you, Christmas is all about like the extra week of vacation you get or sleeping in or presents and parties and eggnog and ugly Christmas sweaters and white elephant exchanges, right? And Christmas Hallmark movies that are all the same. Good-looking guy meets beautiful girl. They're from two different worlds. <laughs> He's always rich. She's not interested until she is. Okay? End of story. They get married, right? And they move to like a farm or something. So um, end of story. So anyway, so, so for some of you, it means that. For others of you, it's all about relationships, and that's exciting. You get to see Uncle Joe and you know, Aunt Susie, and you see your parents, and you see your grandparents. But also relationships, sometimes it's like you got to spend time with your outlaws. I mean, your in-laws. You know, it's like, you just, it's like, it's different. And some, everybody, every person has that crazy dysfunctional member of their family that they hang out with Christmas. If you go, I don't have that person. You are that person. <laughs> I hate, I hate to break it to you. And, and, then, and then, but, but on, 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 on kind of a serious note, for others of us, Christmas is like that time of year where we look back and look ahead because the new year's coming. And, and it's, it's honestly, it's a hard time for some people because they realize I'm still single. I still can't get pregnant or stay pregnant. I, I, I still don't have the job that I want. I'm finding myself, for some reason, I'm single again because of death or because of divorce. And, or it's my first Christmas without, without dad or without grandma. And so it means all of those things to so, there's, there's so, it's hard to pull apart what Christmas is. It means a lot of things to a lot of different people. What I want to give you is the main story, the main truth about what Christmas is all about. So let me give it to you in four words. It's that Jesus Christ was born or Jesus Christ is born. That's Christmas in four words. And, and the message of Christmas, it's wonderful, right? You see a nativity scene, you sing songs about it. You see Jesus as a baby, and it kind of it can bring warm feelings, but it, it's also an offensive message because here's what Jesus means. Jesus means God saves. That's what his name means. So Jesus, the name, means God saves. So here's why Christmas can be offensive to people if they really understand it. It means that you need to be saved, and that's kind of offensive. It means that you're not a mistaker. 
that you're a sinner who needs to be saved. It means that you can't save yourself. Christianity is a rescue religion where we need to be delivered from our sins and our selfishness. But the second part of it is it's Jesus Christ being born, right? So maybe you didn't know this. Christ is not Jesus' last name. So I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's not his last name. Christ is a title that means anointed one or king. So think about what Christmas means. It's very simple, just in those four words. God needs to save you through Jesus if you're going to have a relationship with him, if you're going to head to heaven. Okay, that's, that's, that, wow, that's different than what I've been taught. Okay, Jesus is king. You're not king. You're not the captain of your soul and the master of your fate. And you're not ultimately in control. Which, which, and you know that the first time suffering enters into your life, you go, oh, I guess I'm not in control. The first time illness and injury strike you as that. And then the, the, the third part of it, so it's Jesus, God saves, Christ, he's a king, you're not a king, is born. Now this is the, I'm going to try my best, but this is the miracle, and this is the mystery, and this is the wonder, and this is the awe of Christmas. It's that God became a man. That divinity took on humanity. That God voluntarily emptied himself and entered our world. That he humbled himself. The Bible says he humbled himself by becoming a man and then dying on a cross, a criminal's death. He humbled himself. And so here's the main message of Christmas. God came to us because we could not go to him. That's the whole message. And what I'm going to take you to today is I want to take us with a little bit of time we have to John chapter 1. If you'll type 2, turn to, if you have a Bible, it'll be on the screen behind me. But I want us to look at Jesus' nearest and dearest friends. So Jesus, this is part of what we celebrate at Christmas, is that Jesus became a man. God among us. 100% divinity, 100% you know, mystery. Can we fully explain it? No. But what this means also is that Jesus had friends, and Jesus had a best friend, and Jesus' best friend's name was John, and John wrote the Gospel of John. Now, the Gospel of Matthew, follow me for a second, we're going to get to the Gospel of John. In the Gospel of Matthew, uh, it's, it's all about Jesus and explaining who Jesus is to the Jewish people, and that was great because they didn't, you know, the, he, they connect, hey, here's Jesus, and how he, here's how he fulfills all of the Old Testament. It's like, great. Mark was really short, it was to the Romans, it was very action-oriented, and, and it was meant to reach another type of person. And then Luke, it was written by a doctor, and it's for the intellectuals, and the Greek is fantastic, and it's, it's a different account. And then John is for the seeker and for the skeptic. And what's interesting is what I'm trying to do with Christmas, because we, we live in a city, and this is true in many places in the southeast, where everybody's kind of familiar with the Christmas service and the Christmas sermon and the Christmas story. And part of my role, if I can do it, is to try to take what is familiar and make it fresh. So I'm going to take us to an account of Christmas that is, a, that is John's Christmas account, but it's different from any other account that we've looked at in years past, or maybe that you've heard of. Because in this account, there's no manger. Like, can you have Christmas without a manger? Yeah, I'll show you. There's no angels. There's no shepherds. There's no Joseph. There's no Mary. There's no inn. None of that's there. So this Christmas, what we're going to look at, this Christmas sermon, this Christmas text, is Jesus... It's really this. It's the word become flesh, but it's not Jesus as a baby. It starts with Jesus at the beginning. So, so let, let's look at this. This would be John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're just going to look at the first 14 verses tonight. And by the way, if you're new, this is what we do. The authority is not in me or in our church 
or in a certain teacher or in a certain amount of elders or something like that or some leaders. The, the authority in our church is in what the Bible says. So all, we're, all I am is I don't write the mail, I just deliver it, okay? So we're just going to look tonight at this first old Christmas story. Here's what it says. In the beginning, now you may not know a lot of your Bible, but when I say in the beginning, you probably, if you know any Bible, you might think, wait a second, that shows up somewhere else. It's the first words of Genesis. So if anyone's reading this, they would go, oh my, this is reminding me of Genesis. In the beginning was the word. It goes, okay, I get that, right? Because I read Genesis. This is what the Jews would think. I read Genesis. I get it. In the beginning was the word because God was speaking everything into creation. This makes sense. But you look at it, you go, well, why is it capitalized? We'll see this. In the beginning was the word, okay. And the word was with God. Okay, that sounds makes sense because God was speaking the word, okay. And the word was God, huh? Now this means that this is, you're gonna see in verse two, he was in the beginning with God. So this is, this is about Jesus Christ being co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. I know you're like, this is, this is a deep Christmas message. You know? It's like, yeah, we're gonna talk about, I want you to see this, that this is important for you to understand that what he's saying is that at the very beginning, there was Jesus, there was God the Father. And this is why this is important. They were in complete relationship with one another. So some people think, did God create the world because he was lonely? Which that's a fair thought. Because every once in a while you'll meet couples and they're, you know, you'll meet a married couple and they're like, our marriage isn't going very well. It's like, okay, we're thinking of having a kid. Don't do that. <laughs> don't, stop, <laughs> right? That's what you're gonna say. Because if things aren't going well, you don't need to bring somebody else into this situation. But then everyone, most times you'll meet people and they're like, we love each other. Our marriage is going well. It's not perfect, but we're, we're working on it. And, and we have enough money and we've got enough time and we've got a home and here's what we'd like to do. We have so much, we'd like to share it. That's what God did. God creates out of abundance. There he is, God the Father, with his son. Here's an interesting thought. God has always been a father. God hasn't always been a creator. God hasn't always been a lawgiver. But God has never not been a father, okay? So there's a mystery to the Trinity. I don't fully understand it. But a God that we could fully comprehend and fully understand would probably just be a bigger version of us. It would not be a God worth worshiping. So John says, I'm going to take you all the way back to the beginning. And here's what he says. He says, he's going to get, and many of you maybe know this, in verse 14, we'll get there by the end of uh, tonight. In verse 14, he's going to say, the word became flesh, and that's Christmas. The word took on humanity, was born as a baby, lived a life. Okay, we'll get there. The question that you want to ask is, well, why word? Why the word? Why not the action of God? Why is he called the word of God? Well, what do words do? I know we, we kind of ask a lot of basic questions here, but and, and maybe things we don't think about. Like, you talk a lot, most of us, right? You text, you email, you make phone calls. Like, we're always talking, and it's a good thing to go just stop for a second and go, what are, what are words? And what, among other things, if you're being honest, and if you're being true, and if you're being real, when you give somebody your word, they get you. What your, your word is the best way to, to express yourself. Now, we live in a time with Instagram and everything else. Everybody wants to express themselves, right? But this filter expresses me best. No, right? <laughs> it's like, or these clothes, or this haircut, or this hairstyle, or this tattoo. We're not against any of these things. It's just saying there's so many ways, or, the, or expensive outerwear, or the car I drive, right? We, we're always kind of trying to tell people who we are by, you know, how we dress or what we drive or where we live. 
but they're all secondary. They never communicate. Well, the, the number one way to communicate with someone, this is so simple, but we have to understand this. The, and the clearest way to communicate with someone is words. It's words, because what words do is they take what is invisible and unknown. This is such a deep idea, because this is what God did. Words take something that are invisible and unknown, and they make it very clear. And there's no better way to do that. Right? This is why if you've ever had a little kid and they're like one years old and you're crying, you're like, what's wrong? And you can't get too mad at them because they can't speak. They cry about everything. You're like, did you, you have a dirty diaper? Are you tired? Are you sick? Did you hurt yourself? Are you scared? I don't know why, because you don't have words. We need words. Right? Have you ever looked at someone and you go, they have a hater face. And you go, I think they're mad at me. And then you talk to them, like, they're like, I'm not mad at you. I actually really like you. Like, oh, thank you. That person probably doesn't know they have a hater face. Okay? <laughs> but it's like, oh, as soon as they give me words, it makes, think about it. As soon as they give me words, I'm done. I know. How many women, when, they, when some guy's interested in them, they think, they get frustrated because they're like, tell me if you're interested or not. Why are you texting me? Why are you singling me out? Why have we been on like four dates and we're hanging out, but I don't know? Like, oh, I need a DTR. DTR says, please tell me. Every husband is like, has no idea what his wife's thinking ever. <laughs> Just so you ladies know, we have no idea. Tell us. Okay, and so we, 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 need, we need words. Words help communicate things. Words take what is invisible and make it visible. So isn't this amazing? What does Jesus do? He makes the invisible God visible. That's it. Now, words, why? Because we're all confused about God, naturally. And here's, a, here's another deep idea, that we tend to view God like we view our dad. Now, we don't even know this. It's subconscious. So you might go, so for example, they did a big study of high schoolers. This guy named Christian Smith, he's a sociologist. He did a nationwide, super high-quality study of what do high schoolers believe about God in America? And after he did this for a year or two, he came up with a phrase to describe what high schoolers believe about God. And it said, more, here's, it's a big phrase, okay? Moralistic, therapeutic, deism. You're like, what does that mean? Moralistic, God wants me to be a good person. Therapeutic, God wants me to feel good and be happy. Deism, God's not very invested or involved in my life. Guess what every high schooler was talking about? Their dad. Dad wants me to be happy. Dad wants me to be a good person. Dad's not very involved in my life. Is it a surprise that we live in a fatherless generation and atheism is, is on the rise? I'm 100% sure they're connected. I don't have a dad. That's what the atheist says. Or how about the dad that you know, left a long time ago and kind of pays for some things but isn't around much? Oh, agnosticism. I'm not sure if I have a dad. Mom said he was around for a little bit. How about deism? Oh, he was there at the beginning. He's not involved or invested now. We are confused about what God is like. And so Christmas is about Jesus making God clear to us. That's why the word becomes flesh. Now, look what happens next. If you look at verse three, we're told something else. All things were made through him. Him is Jesus. So Jesus created everything. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So what's happening here is we're told that Jesus Christ created you on purpose for a purpose. You need to know this. You did not come from nobody, exist for no purpose, and die and go nowhere. We don't believe that. We don't believe that nobody times nothing equals everything. We don't believe that the impersonal created the personal, that, that non-life created life, that chaos created order. We don't believe that. It does, it's illogical and it doesn't make sense. But here's why verse three is so important. Jesus Christ is gonna create the world and then he's gonna come into that creation. But the first thing we're told is that you were created by a person for that person. So for some of you, you're like, this is why I'm never satisfied. If you're not giving your life to Christ, you're like, this is why I keep feeling like I need to make more money and it's not satisfying. This is why the boyfriend isn't satisfying me. This is why the girlfriend isn't satisfying. This is why my wife and kids aren't satisfying me. Because as it's been said a long time ago, you have this God-shaped hole in your life because you were created for a person by a person, the same person, Jesus Christ. So you have this, Jesus creates the world. By the way, there's, this is the number one distinction. You can't understand life if you don't understand there's creator and creation, that's it. But the Bible is binary. Male, female, angels, demons, God, idols, heaven, hell. I know some of you go, I don't believe in hell. You will one day. You, you, this is, we're, we're, we wanna tell you about it now. These, these are realities that God speaks of. And so then he says all this, so he says the word, and then I wanna I want show you what happens next. Verse four. In him, so the, the, he's using all of these themes, by the way, from the book of Genesis. So in the beginning, God's word, and then look at verse four. In him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So now he's talking about this idea of life, and you go, well, what is life? Well, what we're told is life was at the very beginning. So this is interesting. You know, People argue, what was at the beginning? Was it matter? When was there time? When was there energy? When was there space? Here's what we know. Before there was anything, there was life. And what he's saying is, and this is an interesting idea. You got to follow this. The Bible is a connected book. It's saying, look, in Genesis 1, God's word created physical life. That's Genesis 1. You can go back and read that tonight. God's word, God speaks, and oh, let there be light, and the birds of the air, and the sky. And Okay, so the word of God, it makes sense, creates life. I mean, that's what it does. And now he's saying, but then there's the word of God, Jesus Christ, and he creates also spiritual life. So there's two types of life the Bible talks about. This is just good to know. Whether you're a Christian or not, it's good to know. Um, there, is, there is physical life, and physical life happens at conception, right? And that, that's, physical life happens at conception. It's when you are alive physically. There is spiritual life. Spiritual life happens at conversion. It's when you give your sin and yourself to Jesus. You repent and believe. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart. You're born again. You get new spiritual affections, taste buds, and desires. So that, that's what happens to you. And see, what happens is, and what we want to be really clear with is there's, it's possible, in fact, this is how most people are, most Americans have physical life, but don't have spiritual life. They are alive physically, but they are dead spiritually, the Bible talks about. And you know that you're dead. How do you know that you're dead spiritually? You don't care about Jesus Christ. You don't love the church. 
You have no desire for the Bible. You have no genuine sorrow and repentance over your sin. And so what he's saying is, listen, okay, the reason, so Jesus comes to his creation as the word to make God clear in a confusing world, and what he brings with him is life. But then look at what it says in verse four. You gotta see how this is all connection, connected. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So, so life and light, you know that, they're always connected. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So this is interesting. It's saying the light is going, to, is going to be something that's outside of you that's going to come to you. The light is not in you. You know, we, we're told all these, I don't, this isn't the best word for it, but we're told all these goofy things today. Like, look inside yourself for the light. It's like, I will tell you, if you get introspective and you start looking at your motives honestly and you start looking at your desires honestly and you start asking why you do what you do and you want to, here's what you're going to be. Very quickly depressed. Because you're going to realize there's a lot of darkness in me. I need the light to come from outside of me. Now, this light and darkness, we don't really get it that well because it's 2021, about to be 2022. But until 100, you know, electric, it's kind of weird when you think about this. Electricity is only 150 years old. That's two old people. <laughs> two old people ago, the world was dark. That's what it was. It was, it was so dark, you couldn't, you couldn't believe how dark it was. We couldn't explain to you how dark it was. There were no street lights. There were no lamps. There were no dimmers. There was nothing. There was the candles, if you had money to, to have those kind of things. There was the wood, if you had enough to burn it at night. So you have to understand, the world was a very, very, very physically dark place, especially in winter, for, you know, for a long time. And so what he's saying is, okay, you're in, there's in the darkness, and then the light comes. Now, what does the light do? The light lets you see. You're like, oh, thank goodness, right? That's what you're, if, you've, if you're stumbling around in the dark, you're, you're bumping into things, you're like, I need some light. So you, you turn the lights on, and all of a sudden, you can see. So you might go, if you're reading this, you go, okay, this makes sense. So Jesus comes... And he, he, he's got life with him, but he brings the life to other people by turning the lights on spiritually. And you go, well, that's great. So I guess Jesus would just come and he would tell us and, and, and everybody would just receive him. It's like, well, why, why doesn't that happen? It's because the, a light does a second thing. So a light lets you see, but a light exposes. A light exposes what has been trying to be hid in darkness. Right? You, you wonder why? Why does all, most partying, crazy partying happen at night? It's to hide it from ourselves, even what we're doing. Why do people drink too much? There's many reasons that. Part of what it does is it dims the lights inside. That's what it does. Technically, it dims consciousness. I don't really want to fully know what I'm doing. So what happens is the light comes in and then we're exposed. Now, this is why, in my experience, most people who come to faith in Christ later in life, it happens when an area of their life gets exposed and they're seen as sinners. They get caught in a pornography addiction. They have substance abuse that goes crazy in their life. They cheat on their spouse and they get caught. Right? You, you can come to the light by confessing or you can come to the light by getting caught. We're going to recommend confessing. That would be our recommendation. 
And I don't want anything, I don't know all of you, I don't want anything bad to happen to you in 2022, but I will say the best thing that could happen to you from a long-term eternal perspective is for you to get found out in 2022 and to be exposed in some of the things that you've been hiding. Right? You know you're in trouble if you've already almost got caught. That'll be a little sign to you that you, you need to come, that you need to come clean. You've almost already gotten caught. What happens is when you come into the light, it's, it's uncomfortable to come into the light because you have to say, this is who I am. And then, then we don't know what to do when we're in the light. Now, here's the great thing about the light. The light also gives us direction. The word of God is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. But we have to be willing to come into the light. Now, he says the, the, the role of Christians and the role of the church is to tell other people about the light. That's it. I mean, look, look at verse uh, 6. Verse 6 says this. There was a man sent from God. It's like, well, what are we talking about? Why are we talking about him? We're just talking about Jesus. Look, look, there was a man sent from God who was John. Now, this is John the Baptist or John the Baptizer. It says this. He came as a witness. What do witnesses do? They, they simply tell you what they've seen and heard. They give personal testimony of what they've seen and heard. He came as a witness to do what? To bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, right? Christianity isn't, just so you know, Christianity is not about Christians. Christianity is not about telling people about us and showing them how great we are. Christianity is about telling people about Jesus and showing people how great he is. I've heard Christianity explained as, or evangelism explained as uh, one beggar showing another beggar where he found food. Or nobody's telling everybody about somebody. <laughs> Same thing. It says this, he was not the light. He couldn't be, this is so clear. He was not the light, verse eight, but he came to bear witness about the light. Look at verse nine. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. So if it says there's only one true light, there are many false lights. I don't, I don't have enough time to get into all of the false lights. Uh, but one of the false lights would be self-help. That somehow all you need to do, if you would get that Peloton bike, some of you are going to get it this in two days, probably. Um, <laughs> it's like the greatest insult from your spouse. Here's a, you know, here's an eating plan and a Peloton bike. Good luck. Um, um, and a gym membership. Okay. Um, yeah. But but so what the Pel, you know, but it's like the Peloton bike. It's like oh, maybe my whole life could be different. Maybe I could put myself together. Maybe I just need a life coach. That's what I need. Maybe I need the right book and I need the right podcast this year. And I need a CrossFit membership. And I actually, my problem is I'm uneducated to the level I need to be educated with. No, nope. we're not against working out and being educated and listening to books or, and reading books a lot. But what we're saying is self-help is not the answer. It's savior help. It's spirit help is what the Bible says. But then the other thing, the other extreme is, and this is where part of our culture is going to. You'll see there's like two extremes. Like there's a whole group. It's like, I'm going to make myself better. I'm going to make more money. I'm going to put myself together. I'm going to, you know, get in shape. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to get a good job. I'm going to have a career. I'm going to invest in cryptocurrency, you know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and and it, there, there's that self-help part. And, and then the other side of it is, don't worry, you're okay. Nothing's wrong with you. Just accept yourself. Just live your truth, whatever that means. I'm not sure what that means. But it's like, hey, listen, just whatever you struggle with, just do whatever you feel, whatever the true you is, just let it out. 
The problem with that is everybody knows they're not okay. I mean, you feel okay right now. We're all together. It's, we sung some songs. It's, we're, you know, whatever. It's Christmas Eve. But, like, I'm talking about, like, you at, like, 2 in the morning every once in a while when you wake up and no one's around and your spouse is sleeping or you're in the room alone, and you just think a little bit, like, what am I doing with my life? And what, what, the, what the Bible lets us do and what, what Christ lets us do is lets us be honest, hey, that we're not okay, but we know where to go with not being okay. We come into the light. And so look, look what happens. In verse 10, he says this, Jesus, he was in the world. So he comes at Christmas and and lives a life. He was in the world and the world was made through him. So the creator comes to the creation. Amazing, wonderful. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Now we read that and we give the Jews a hard time. So if you read your New Testament, you're like, I can't believe it. I mean, God walks among the people. And he teaches them. And they're so close to God and the things of God. But they're so far away. You think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and all of the religious people. Well, my concern in 2021 and 2022 in cities like Winston-Salem is for people in this room or watching online or certainly in our city to be religiously lost. To be converted to church culture. Know all the Christmas songs. Converted to church culture know how to get in a community group, know how to speak the language. I'm praying about that. I'm struggling with that. All that language that Christians speak. Know how to make the Christian listening noises. Mm, All that, okay? (laughs) Converted to church culture, not converted to Christ. Maybe been baptized, not been born again. And so what what, what I fear is, is people thinking they're Christians and they're not, which is why we try to be so clear here about what the gospel is. This is why we want at Two Cities it to be very difficult to go from Two Cities Church to hell because we're being just so clear about the gospel. But look what he says here, verse 12. But to all who did receive him, you could think who welcomed him or who walked into the light, who received light, who believed in his name, he gave the right, look at verse 12, he gave the right to become children of God. It's like, wait a second, I thought everyone's a child of God. Isn't everybody a child of God? I mean, there's seven point some billion people on earth. Aren't we all, I mean, that's what, every, that's what they tell us. They say everybody's a child of God. Well, again, we might think that if the word of God did not come to us and tell us the truth. It says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what he's saying is that when you are created at conception and following, you become a creature of God, and you're actually made in the image of God. This is, it's interesting. We live in an interesting society that says all people are equal, which Christians agree with, but we're the only ones that have the worldview to, to hold it up. It's like, okay, here's why. Because every person, now here's what is true about 7.5 billion people on earth. Everybody's made in the image of God. So what if you're disabled? Yep, still in the image of God. Well, what if you're not very smart? Well, still in the image of God. Well, what if you're not very useful to society? Still in the image of God. Well, what if you're old and you're like in one of those elder homes? Like, are you? Yes, still in the image of God. Well, what if you've done terrible things? Should we treat? Nope, still in the image of God. So that's a really profound, uniquely Christian idea. 
But, and, and so that's, what's, that's what we can say to any person that we'd ever look at. We can say, you're, you're made, you're an image bearer of God. That's why you have a conscience. That's why you have a moral compass. That's why you're relational. That's why you're emotional. All of that, because you're made in the image of God. But not everyone is a child of God. You become a child of God, not at conception, but again, at conversion. When you give Jesus your heart, when you repent and welcome the Holy Spirit into your life, when, that's when you get new spiritual taste buds and your life changes and you become a child of God. So basically, here's, here's another way to say it. Jesus Christ was born so that you could be born again. That's it. Jesus Christ was born physically so you could be born again spiritually, which, which leads to the final thing, which is verse 14. The main Christmas verse in John 1 says this, and the word, that same word that makes God clear, that was with God in the beginning, that is God. And the word became flesh, took on humanity, took on flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. This is what we call the incarnation, incarnate, carne flesh, in flesh, God coming to us. This is amazing. I mean, I'm just going to try to talk about it for a moment if we can wonder in it if we can worship in it, if we can have awe over it. It's that the divine became human. It's that the immortal became mortal. It's that the invisible became visible. It's that the eternal entered time. It's that the author wrote himself into the story. It's that the creator decided to be born into the creation. It, it's unbelievable. It means so many things that I can't even get into. It means God loves the material world. It means that God understands you. It means that God has had a human experience. He's acquainted. He knows what it's like to be tempted, like really. But here's what it means also, that he was born so you could be born again. He the word became flesh so ultimately so that he could give his flesh. See, here's what happens. And you kind of know this every time you have a, a kid. So when, we, when I've got three kids, Addie, William, Elon. When William was born, this only happened with him, but when William was born, his heart was beating really, really fast. You know, and if you've had a couple kids, this normally happens with like one of your kids or something. And we didn't know. He ended up being fine completely. But, you know, there was like a five-hour period where like, well, we're going to take him. You know, and they move him to this other area and they put him in this incubator and and I, I wasn't my first kid, but it was my second kid, you know, and, and you just, you had this realization, like, it was like day one of having my kid, like, something can happen to him. You, you, and every parent has that realization about their kids, and you have it about your spouse, and you have it about your friends, but you really have it about your kids, and especially you see it when they're so vulnerable as a baby, and what we see is God became vulnerable. It's, it blows the mind. God became killable, which was the whole point. That Jesus comes as a baby, but he doesn't stay a baby. He grows up. He lives a perfect and sinless life for 33 years. But then he has to go through all of the things that you're also going to go through. You're going to be betrayed if you haven't already. You're going to have friends that are going to leave you. You're going to have unjust things happen to you. He went to the extreme. Jesus experienced that at the extreme, right? The cross is the worst thing ever happening to the best person ever. That's what the cross is. It's the ultimate tragedy. 
And so what happens is Jesus Christ goes to the cross. He was born to die. Because it says there that the word becomes flesh, dwells among us. It says he dwells among us, which is the word tabernacle. So here's what, here's what it means. That the tabernacle was always the place where you meet with God. That's what it was. It was the place you met with God. In fact, I heard one story. A guy said that if, um, it, for a first century Jew, if a first century Jew uh, becomes a Christian and he goes to all of the other people around here and he says, I'm a Christian, that they would say to him, well, great, where's your temple? Because if there's a God, there's a gap. There's a gap between us and God. And so if there's a God, there's a gap, so we need to make up that gap. And so they say, well, where's your temple where you go? And he would say, oh, sorry, Jesus is my temple. Okay, well, I, that's kind of confusing. Where are your priests? Because every religion needs like people in between like us and God to help us because we're sinful. And oh, sorry, Jesus is my priest. Okay, I get it, I get it. But I actually, maybe I don't get it, but, um, but okay. Uh, okay, well, how about your sacrifices? Because every religion has sacrifices. Ah, Jesus Christ was also our sacrifice. See, it says that Jesus came and he was full of both grace and truth. 100% grace. 100% truth. Where do we see both of those? We see those most clearly, not in the manger, not in the crib. We see them most clearly at the cross. At the cross, we see the grace of God, and we love talking about that. It, here's, what, here's what that feels like. Listen, isn't that amazing that God would send his son at great cost to himself? Isn't that awesome? That's the grace of God. Isn't it amazing that God would die instead of us, that God would die for us, that God would be our substitute. Isn't that incredible? That's the grace of God. When Jesus stretched out his hands, he was saying, I love you this much. That's the grace of God. Okay, you heard that. We, we often don't hear the other side of the story, which is the truth. Listen, you are so sinful. I am so sinful. We are so wicked. We are so foolish. We are so rebellious. We were so lost that God had to kill his own son to deal with our sin. That's how horrible and painful our sin is. Sin must be punished either on the cross where Jesus took the punishment or in hell. That's what makes Christmas so sweet and so special. When you realize Jesus Christ was born. And here's what that means. He came to us because we could not go to him. He was born so that we could be born again. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for a reminder of the story of Christmas. Lord, I'm thankful for Jesus Christ, the Word. Jesus, if it were not for the Word, the Word of God, the written Word of God, we would not know who you are. We would be confused about who you are. We'd be confused about who we are. Lord, I pray right now that we would if there's anyone in here who has not come into the light ever, they would do that by confessing, confessing their sins. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you believe that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. But I pray that in a new way, as we go back to our homes and back to our families, that you would, that Christmas would be so meaningful, that you would give us just a sense of wonder of the incarnation, a sense of wonder of Jesus Christ becoming a man, being born so that we could be born again, coming to us because we could not come to him. We thank you for all of this this Christmas, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.